Hello and welcome to the Logistics Tribe. I'm Boris Felgendreer, founder of the Logistics Tribe, and I'm excited to present to you an episode that is hosted by Dana von der Heide. Her guest on the program today is Davide Costella. Davide is responsible for the design and execution of the last mile delivery strategy of Nespresso. And in the world of premium portioned coffee, delivered right to end consumers' houses, making the customer happy with a flawless last mile delivery is a big thing. So Nespresso pays a great deal of attention to this and Davide is right in the middle of it. So please sit back, prepare yourself a nice beverage of your choice, just like I'm doing right now, and enjoy this Logistics Try podcast episode with Dana von der Heide and Davide Costella. All right, Davide, I'm very excited to have you today in the Logistics Tribe, our podcast recording, which we are now doing on a weekly basis. Couldn't be more excited to have you on board, a seasoned logistics professional with great experience when it comes to e-commerce and retail overall. Uh, Davide, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dana. Thank you for having me. For everyone that doesn't know Davide yet, he's a global delivery service manager for Nespresso. He had a lot of exciting previous roles as well, but I think for today we are very keen to learn more um, on the logistics projects at Nespresso, also get some insights on what's happening in times of COVID, um, maybe also how uh, Nespresso is tackling these. Um, we are also very keen to learn a little bit more on how you're partnering with logistics uh, solutions providers. I think there's a lot of innovation that you're driving. And And then um, another a very interesting fact about David is that he's also a coach. Uh, so maybe towards the end of the podcast, he gives us a few hints and maybe some learnings from his coaching experience uh, that can help all of us in our career in the logistics industry. Uh, David, let's get started. And I I'd love to get a quick introduction from yourself um, uh, about uh, your role at Nespresso and maybe quickly about you personally as well. Yeah, sure. Um, so again, thank you for having me, Dana, and uh, hello, everyone. Um, so Nespresso, I'm uh, the Global Delivery Service Manager. And what that means, I'm really responsible to design uh, the last mile strategy for Nespresso globally, as well as to lead uh, the execution of this strategy. And um, I've been in the position for a couple of years now. And uh, yes, based out of our headquarters uh, in Lausanne. And um, yeah, about myself, I think I'm a very curious person. I love um, self-development. Um, and uh, yes, I find pleasure in having uh, good talks with uh, people. I'm originally Italian, 36 years old, and I uh, love reading, doing sports, and uh, being based in Lausanne for six, seven years now. And I also heard you love skiing, right? Which is the perfect time of the year now. So after like the podcast, it, yeah. we let Davide do a little skiing trip as well. All right. Uh, so cool um, to kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been following you for a while. We've been working together uh, as part of Parcel Perform. But I think um, one thing that I really observed is um, there's lots of projects, lots of innovations that Nespresso is driving. Before we go into the details, uh, maybe for our listeners as well, when we talk about last mile, um, uh, maybe you can uh, tell us a little bit on what's the setup that Nespresso is usually operating in. Yeah, so operating last mile basically, um, it's uh, for, for us really anything that leaves uh, distribution center warehouse within the market, and from there it goes uh, to final customers. So the way uh, Nespresso works, we have three manufacturing centers, big one all in Switzerland, and then from there basically we ship final product to all countries, uh, 40 plus countries that we have, and in each country we have at least 
one distributor center, then depending on size, it could be even, even more than that. And, uh, and then basically from there, we just distribute uh, to final customers. And on the last mile side of things, Davide, do you have a set kind of scope of carriers that you work with or do you decide that country by country? We do have some, uh, as we call them, either regional or global partners that we uh, want to basically yeah, interact with and do business with. And uh, we normally lead more global and regional uh, uh, strategies. And that's mainly really for uh, um, yeah, few partners, I would say two, three that we have. Um, then obviously the, the, the big part in each market is always national carrier post. Uh, so that's difficult to more manage it at the, above the market level. And, uh, and this is mainly for the standard delivery. So standard for us is next day delivery, majority of our parcels. Then when it comes really to more tactical uh, deliveries, like same day, uh, two hours delivery, we go more market by market for smaller players that sometimes are more suitable than the big players to, to do those type of deliveries. Very cool. Yeah. And I know you work with pretty innovative solutions. Uh, if I remember correctly, in Australia, you even piloted a three hour delivery. Can you share a little bit more about that with us? Yeah, definitely. So uh, what I would say that's really part of um, a bigger project eh, that is a ship from store. Eh? So we basically uh, kick it off that in 2017 uh, in several markets. So how could we use our boutique network, eh? our um, offline network of, of retail and be closer to consumers in order to increase accessibility, to avoid out of stock. And um, we've been uh, running that for a couple of years with, uh, I would say, probably before more failures than success, if I have to be honest. But with uh, COVID, it accelerated a big deal. Why? Because with COVID, we'll talk probably a little bit more about that, but we start closing our stores uh, in all the countries, started transforming them into dark stores. So that was a huge shift also for the retail community on our side to understand, ah, okay, so we can use those actually to ship. And then the only neat thing we need to do is whenever we have customers back in our stores, we just need to continue serve our customers and plus also serving this type of, uh, of uh, services like uh, ship from store. So uh, Australia was an amazing, I would say, journey this year that we had and uh, experience and especially results because they were really able to not only do it from a couple of boutiques, but they use 100% of their uh, retail network, which is 19 boutiques, um, to using precisely these three hours delivery. And um, I think the beauty of this project, like many others that then we'll talk about in delivery services, is that delivery service alone cannot do much. And eh? they always need all the other functions. They need the retail, they need the e-commerce, they need marketing, they need CRM. They need finance. So uh, I think th these type of projects for me are really great in, in a company to, to start breaking silos eh? and to, to help really markets um, and business to come together. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's what we're hearing across a lot of e-commerce players. And I think everyone now is very keen to kind of refunction the stores to really cater to customer demands and also get the products out. Right. I can imagine in times of uh, COVID, uh, also your volumes, uh, e-commerce volumes must have spiked. Can you talk a little bit on the mix of e-commerce versus retail in your volumes? Yeah, it, it just uh, swapped basically uh, from uh, after COVID, uh, from what it was before um, uh, retail versus uh, versus digital. Um, yeah, it accelerated tremendously what we were trying to do, not only in terms of volume, but also in terms of initiatives, in terms of focus 
yeah. that we had in digital overall and in last mile. We just recently released our uh, brand new global business strategy for the next five years. And obviously digitalization and services is a, is a huge part of when Espresso will go. Um, so yeah, fantastic. And yeah, you just said there's usually global strategies, right? So how do you go about implementing new projects? Is it um, a strategy where you um, test it in a market like the one that you mentioned in Australia, or how how do you usually make yeah. sure that you drive innovation and that it works in the end? Yeah. So I think uh, overall, really, the the main objective that we have in in the global delivery service strategy is to make sure to offer our customers with relevant and optimal delivery service experience and then obviously ensuring high quality standard while keeping the cost uh, under under control. So uh, in this sentence for, for us, there are a lot of interesting things like relevancy. So making sure that once we do something, it's relevant for, for, for a customer. Uh, optimal delivery service experience. Uh, so we really take from A to Z the customer journey and how delivery service can embed it uh, in this customer experience to make it much better. And uh, quality, you can do all the you know fancy innovation if you're going to be late, if you're going to deliver a broken uh, package, uh, customer going to complain. And obviously cost is also a huge part eh? because we, 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 you know right now, obviously what happened, uh, spike on, uh, on uh, last mile, uh, the cost was increasing, but at the same time we need to manage that. So that, that's really for us the, where do we come from? Then uh, the way we operate, we have our HQ where I'm uh, part of, where basically um, I normally run the uh, new concept. Uh, so I take um, projects, new ideas uh, that I have until a certain point. So until at least we have two, three markets, right? And then afterwards, we have uh, another team of people that are based in Lisbon that were basically, we hand over a project at one point where we feel uh, they are at the state of uh, good maturity and then they can do the industrialization. Mm -hmm. So that's been basically the case for these uh, ship from store that we're talking about. It's yeah. been the case for other projects uh, like we've been working together with your company, Track and Trace, uh, where yeah. right now we are more in the rollout phase. Um, we have some other projects that I think are very interesting, like uh, it, it's a program that we created that is called Delivery Service Portfolio Optimization Program, which is basically has the ambition to design really, again, the most relevant and optimal delivery experience for our customers. So we basically go from a diagnostic phase and that we collect all data, all inputs from customers. We do surveys, we do benchmarks, uh, we see our software. And then afterwards, we see how we can transform all those insights into output in a workshop. So to give you an example, it could be that we say, you know what, we are very good in speed, but customers don't know about it. So we need to put much more marketing emphasis into that. Or uh, we understand that the threshold, free delivery threshold is really a barrier for our customers. So we need to do something with our price strategy. And yeah. then basically we work on that. And that was another program that basically initiated a year ago and then handed over to, to the team in Lisbon. And, and that's basically how we go about it. Uh, we pilot things and then we when they work we try to accelerate it with the team as much as possible very cool and yeah you mentioned already the ship to store uh, any other outlook or insight you can give us on the exciting projects that you have at hand for the year or maybe also for the years to come yeah um, I think this one um, that um, we mentioned the ship from store is one uh, obviously increasing click and collect not only with Pudos but also with our own network is another thing and Australia did that very well so they didn't just um, stop themselves to say, okay, we do ship from store. 
but it was also the now called Bopis, eh? you know, buy online, pick up in store. Yeah. Um, that they start doing it. Um, so we're also doing a lot, a lot of that. Um, truck and traces, you know, with you, it's uh, it's another huge project that we are doing because uh, control and visibility, it's really one of the most, I would say, uh, common human needs that we all have. We want to know what's happening. We want to control things. And, and, and that's the same for our deliveries. We also did something pretty cool this year that I, I like very much, um, especially being from a quarter that sometimes we're a little bit, uh, you know, far away from operation. We, we pilot in, uh, in partnership with, um, our Swiss market and, uh, DPD, which is our main carrier in the Swiss market, a lean value stream exercise, which basically had the aim really to improve ultimately the customer experience for Swiss consumers. And what that meant is really that we went from A to Z to the whole um, end-to-end uh, lean value stream, basically of from when order comes to when we deliver. Uh, we did also follow uh, Hopon in, in, in a van and did uh, one day of delivery, uh, delivering uh, Nespresso customers, but also other customers. And I think that was an eye-opener. Eye-opener because, first of all, you empathize much more with a job that is very difficult. And people say, you know, what does it take to ship something from A to B? It's very difficult. There are a lot of challenges. It's a tough job. Um, yeah. There are a lot of things going wrong. There are customers that are not easy to reach. So, and I think over, over there, it was really nice opening even because we saw there were in the last mile so many things that can be improved, so many things that go wrong, but also it's very difficult to control those things. Um, so this is a, one thing that, for example, we piloted last year. We plan to do it this year in other markets like uh, Belgium, Portugal. And I think it's, it's a new way to, to yeah, strengthen partnership with the carriers, and, uh, but also to raise a little bit of awareness on you know, what's really going on behind the scene, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of the e-commerce uh, merchants now are seeing um, quite a few challenges also with re-deliveries, right? Customers not being at home, accepting the orders and also returns. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit uh, what you were experiencing there? Yeah, I, I think the, the first time right eh, uh, is one of the biggest challenges because um, yeah. uh, customers, uh, I mean, right now these periods, we all know that we are more home and probably we will stay a little bit more home, you know, with this uh, working from home uh, situation that will probably become more normal, but still people will have to be, you know, outside of their apartments. Um, so I, I believe that there are a few things that we want to experiment and we believe it's cool precisely for this eh, to, to increase the first time right because obviously it's a matter of cost it's a matter of uh, sustainability and less CO2 emissions it's a matter of customer experience that we want to give in the end so th- there are some technologies like um, I don't know the Amazon key uh, that they um, you know try so being able to deliver your apartment even when you're over there um, and enter your apartment and, and you know put your um, coffee in your apartment over there or in the trunk of your car that's for me it, it does increase uh, it's technology that enable that time of uh, the type of thing like um, first time right um, some do you feel like, like customers are open to do that did you have the chance to kind of uh, do some first we didn't really run uh, serving on asking them if, if they are I think again it, it goes back to basic human needs, uh, human needs of yeah. control, transparency, visibility. If you give them the possibility to control it, to check it, um, I don't see why not. And if you have that trust and you build that trust, especially with a brand like ours, the where we did that a very good job, uh, I don't see why not. Eh? Probably it won't be for everyone, everyone, but um, I, I think you always have the early adapters and then afterwards people following that. Um, other cool technology, I think, company and eh, that 
doing these uh, what three words and that they do so basically they're able to geolocalize exactly where precisely they're gonna go and deliver your parcel especially in switzerland where it, sometimes we have some uh, instances where it's difficult to find uh, the apartment or probably customers wants to have the parcel left in the uh, you know back door which is difficult to find and so on i think yeah. also those technology we are planning to to pilot and to try those some of those uh, this year um yes so those i think are the ones that are helping us a little bit uh, probably to increase the Thank you for sharing, David. Very interesting. And I'm sure uh, a lot of e-commerce merchants right now have similar challenges. Uh, having boutiques at hand, that can also um, yeah, function as a shipping uh, location and a collect location is, of course, very helpful, especially also in these times to just uh, mm. cast the net a little bit wider. Um, David, you're also in a global role. And uh, of course, uh, as we all know, every country has its own quirks. There's countries in Asia, which I know also quite well, they don't even have postal codes. And I'm sure also customer behavior is very different. Can you share a little bit with us on maybe yeah, the astonishing things you came across from the different countries and different customer behaviors that Nespresso has to cater to? Yes. So, uh, um Uh, first of all, let me tell you, we are running right now a lot of uh, last mile customer service uh, in survey in, in many countries. And the idea is really, we want to understand much better what, what customers value for Nespresso. Right? We often go out there and get, I don't know, a McKinsey study here, another study there, which is great. But at the end of the day, we say, okay, what our customers are really thinking about our last mile. Right? And we've been doing this for several countries, going from uh, Brazil and uh, to Nordics, uh, you know, Italy, to, to Asia, and so on and so forth. Um, I have to say that, first of all, for me, th there are some cluster of needs that are the same for all human beings. It doesn't matter if you are um, in Taiwan, in, in Italy, or in, in Germany, or in Australia. Eh? So when it comes to transparency, need of transparency, need of being in control, we all have it as a human beings in, in general. Eh? Uh, we like to know how things are going, and, and obviously control stuff so um i think that for me is a basic one eh? uh, and track and trace is precisely something that doesn't matter if you ask to someone in taiwan or in, in berlin they all want the same uh, yeah. similarly convenience and reliability it's all something they want we want to know exactly when parcel arrives we want to make sure that it does arrive at that time we want to be able to have the schedule delivered so also that is the same. Then what in my vary is probably the time of the delivery. Uh, in Switzerland, if you go and deliver at 9, 10 o'clock in the evening, they're going to probably be very upset about it. But if you yeah. do it in uh, other countries like in New York and London, it might be cool. Uh, so I think that that's a little bit some of the difference. And, and then you, you have it also in terms of flexibility. Flexibility, I think for me, is another huge need that we have again as human needs. Uh, And, and then it changes now. So it, it might be that for someone, the uh, flexibility in one country means something different for someone else. So rerouting the parcel, I think it's a one way to give flexibility. Uh, having different uh, threshold for free delivery, that's another way to give flexibility, you see? Yeah. So th th those then I think it becomes from country to country. But um, the main differences we see also is urban area versus rural areas, right? So it doesn't matter if it's Sao Paulo, Milan, uh, in, in the really urban areas, we see that they want things fast, that they have less tolerance for waiting to receive their parcels versus someone that is normally more uh, obviously towards uh, living more outside of urban areas. 
So, and then obviously we see differences in, uh, I don't know, Brazil, poodles are not going very much and they're not really uh, super wanted. And one of the main reasons why we saw is because most of the basically home deliveries that we have in, in the, you know, uh, buildings, they all have a sort of concierge 24 seven. So they don't see much of, of a reason of going on that. So there are some, some of those uh, differences that we have now from, um, from country to country. Very interesting. Thanks yeah. for thanks for also sharing that. I think uh, obviously uh, one of the things that uh, always needs to check out for you is um, you you understand what your customers need in terms of solution, but you always also need to find a provider that gives you that solution for your customers. So how do you feel about you know the carriers uh, these days catching up with the increasing demands of uh, your end consumers, or is there like a wish list of features that you feel are not yet fulfilled, but uh, we should probably look at them or carry should um, rush to implement them for uh, brands like Nespresso? Um, so I, I think it's what, what's happening, what happened last year is uh, is very difficult to, to manage and, and to overall for everyone. So I think it's uh, it's too easy and eh? we see it as a citizen of countries to blame uh, you know politicians for what they're doing we see it as uh, uh, you know you being uh, uh, obviously founder of your company maybe okay it's difficult to point fingers but i think the reality is that it was very very difficult and that and, and also on our side i think I always say that even if you put people in the best, you know, MBA and ask, you know, and give the, 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 the most difficult business case to say, imagine that there is a pandemic, you know, and you, you cannot really go outside and you need to keep this. I mean, it would be probably one of the most difficult, right? Business case that people have to deal with and most unrealistic and still it did happen. So I think as a context for me, it's, it's very difficult to say, you know, what they should be doing. Uh, what they've done, I think it, it, it was very good and they just should be doing that. Uh, so all those services uh, that they continue to do in terms of reliability, starting from improving the track and starting from actually improving the in-flight option uh, for customers to understand exactly how they can change it. I think it's all things that they need to do. Increasing their capacity, uh, it's something that they're doing. They cannot do from one day to another one. They, can, they cannot add hubs, sorting center overnight. So I think those are, are, are things that they're doing. But uh, overall, I think what we need to see and what we need to change and what is changing is um, how we see last mile, really the perception that we have. It's not anymore changing, you know, shipping something from A to B, but it is really, um, a, a key component of the overall digital journey uh, and it really brings a lot of satisfaction and uh, brand loyalty in, in the long run. Yeah. So what we do when we choose our, par our partner right now is really, first of all, can they offer what our customers really value the most? Mm -hmm. uh, are we really in line with what we care about? Values, obviously our sustainability pledge, which is big like many other companies. Are they able to provide a good quality at a fair price? And then obviously it can change slightly depending on the market context, whether you have more monopoly in one than another one, uh, context historically, you know, COVID versus no COVID, um, standard delivery versus same day, two hours, those are the differences. But overall, those are the things that we look at when we go and partner with, uh, with carriers. And, uh, Fantastic. And uh, you mentioned also times of COVID already, um, obviously bringing a full hand of new challenges to every business. Can you share a little bit, um, you know, um, your challenges with COVID and maybe also the good outcomes, the good changes that it brought to the business on your end? I, I think challenges with COVID were very much same challenges that most of our brands were having. So product availability, capacity and um, 
on time delivery, meaning customer satisfaction. So I think the way we tackle it, we were all super positively surprised. Um, not because we were not obviously, we don't know that we can handle challenges, but that just because this one, again, was something that we never conceived as human beings. So we, we didn't, it didn't even ever cross our mind. So it was not really something we had as, as a reference point. Um, but I think there were too many things that we did it as a company very good. One was more, um, on organizational side. So people wise, we created a lot of task force. Uh, that basically broke all the silos that we had. Uh, so basically we had an omni-channel task force and many others. I was part of the omni-channel where we had um, e-commerce, customer relationship center, uh, retail, uh, finance, quality, supply chain. And from morning to evening, we were having small updates uh, to say, okay, what is that we need to do for the day? What is that we need to accomplish for the week? And that was a huge game changer in how we were communicating. Eh? Uh, so I think that that was one big thing uh, from reorganization wise. It, we had easier access to board members and decision-making process was done much easier. And I think that was also something that helped a lot. And, and then I think what, what happened with the COVID that we'll never have in our, in our life anymore is we all had the same common enemy, right? It doesn't matter, you know, which, which objective I had in my objective plan, what you had, didn't matter my gender, didn't matter, you know, my hierarchy, we all had the same enemy to, to, to fight against. And that really gave a huge energy for the whole company to really have something um, to fight against. So I think that was the first part, really big one, on how we, uh, we react. The second was really from a supply chain perspective. We had to reduce our SKUs uh, to be more focused. Uh, we had obviously to shut down some uh, production line to make sure that we had all the safety measures in place. So that was one thing. And um, we had to do all things possible, obviously, to ensure as much as possible product availability. So that was, was one thing. Uh, in terms of capacity, uh, well, we add obviously additional shift. We had to make sure that all the safe and health, uh, you know, uh, type of uh, measures were in place. And then what we did, we, yeah, not only add additional shift, we start using our boutique as dark stores, as I said before. And then another very uh, creative things that we had, and we, we basically understood that with COVID, we could do things that we ask, you know, probably, you know, other colleagues or other functions to do in many years, was we started using some of our distribution centers in some of our countries to also support other countries where they were in, in a basically shortage of capacity. So, for example, in, um, in Switzerland, we have a huge um, distribution center, which is also automated, so it can go more 24-7. And from there, in, we start uh, supporting Portugal when needed, uh, UK when needed, uh, Germany when needed, even Canada we went on. Eh? So that, that, that I think was another thing that we did for um, really shifting overall the, the capacity. And then the last part was in last mile. So we had to change customer promise. Mm? So okay. we normally have next day. We normally have same day in most of the markets. So we start obviously changing in the period of five to seven days, seven to 10 days. And we start to communicating to customers more that. And eh? so that they knew that that basically changed. And, How did customer uh, react to that? But I think very well. In a sense, that again, we, 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 we go back to uh, understanding, to transparency, to um, communication. Uh, we, they all knew, like we all knew that we were uh, living in unprecedented times. So I, I think they empathize a lot with us. I think what they pretend, and I think they did very well, is pretend that at least we were able to react accordingly and tell them the things were changing, communicate accordingly, right? 
Um, so in most of the countries, they were locked down. So they knew they couldn't go out and they probably imagined they also carriers couldn't really come for, for in, in some places. But as long as you tell them, as long as you are, you know, uh, transparent about that, I think uh, that, that actually, I think, creates a lot of loyalty in the end. Eh? Yeah, fantastic. No, I think, uh, yeah, turning this around and using it as, a, as an opportunity to unify the teams and drive some innovative new projects is, is fantastic. I think well done. Mm -hmm. Um, you also just briefly mentioned UK and of course, you know, uh, times of COVID were challenging enough, but now we have the Brexit. Uh, does that at all affect your business? How are you dealing with that one? Um, well, it, it will. We, we had uh, obviously that news over, over Christmas when we were all enjoying our Christmas and we yeah. had a little bit to see whether uh, how, you know, we had enough basically stock eh, in the market to do it. And so far it was the case. Um, I think also that we, we follow very closely. So we were probably overstocking a little bit uh, market uh, mm -hmm. to make sure that if it did happen from one day to another, like it did in the end, uh, we were ready to, to react to it. And um, so, yes, I would say no major, no major concern, eh? considering that we, again, we, we all have, uh, as I said, at least one distribution center in each market. So I think we are well covered with that. Are you planning to extend the range of distribution centers or you think one per market is basically the way to go and you're just growing with markets going forward? No, I think it's at least one per market. In some markets, we have more, uh, mm -hmm. but we constantly do uh, what we call distribution network redesign every two years. Um, Normally, also when we do tenders for warehousing, we always see if uh, based on how our customer, uh, the basically base is growing and based on, you know, how the volumes are going and how the country is evolving, if where we currently have distribution center is the best location. And if it's not, basically we change it. Or we add warehouses, especially also right now, you see that, uh, the, 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 we have, you know, product range in coffee, but we also have accessories. We also have Uh, machines, but we know obviously the coffee is really the, 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 the things consumers consume the most, first of all, and also the, where they ran out of stock, where they wanted product available faster. So we also start thinking about having more uh, micro fulfillment centers and, and you know, in, in small areas where we have more customer base without really having a huge warehouse and having more sometimes huge warehouses automated to, to Uh, ship and to handle all the SKUs and leaving some of the SKUs that are the fast running SKUs uh, closer really to where the consumers are. So that's also something that we are seeing, you know, uh, moving forward uh, to change the strategy to, to be more accessible. No, and when we talk about timing, there's obviously, you know, we, we didn't manage to do a lot of conferences, whereas usually, you know, you see a lot of innovative technologies. Uh, what do you feel it's time to implement um, uh, for your business? Or is there a certain technology sets that you're particularly looking forward to? A lot of people talk about automation, uh, robots in your warehouse. We talk about machine learning. Uh, Internet of Things, uh, any particular technology that you're particularly keen on or that you hope will accelerate uh, further in the coming years? I, I think what we see is the same thing that you see when we go to these uh, exhibitions and everyone else. So mm. The one you just mentioned, I think are exactly the same. So I wouldn't say that we see something different than anyone else. I, I think some of the um, things that right now are really on the plate and that are also for us probably a little bit more um, yeah, closer and easier to implement in the next few years than really long run is 
robotics and automation, especially in warehousing, where we already tried in some of those. What we discussed before, which is also technologies that can help us to increase first time right, whether it's going to be technology, like we said, what rewards does, uh, Amazon mm-hmm. keys. Those are things that uh, we see them being closer to us eh? uh, in the sense that uh, we can already implement it and try it. Um, Systems-wise, we have a few things that obviously we're doing, not only track and trace, exploring OMS, TMS enhancing. So all those things are, are, are technology that will help us uh, uh, to be more agile. And um, yeah, and then finally also we, we speak a lot about autonomous vehicles no, nowadays. Um, after I did that um, hop on a puff tour with DPD and the project that we did in Switzerland, the Limbo Stream, I, I realized how impossible it is in the next five, ten years to deliver, at least in most of our areas with autonomous vehicles, our, our customers. It's just mm. very, very difficult. However, I think for first mile, middle mile, uh, it can be something uh, very interesting. Uh, so I have in mind to trial some of that in uh, perhaps how we replenish our boutiques or how we go between our distribution center to the first hub of the carrier. So I think for, for those type of routes can uh, can be definitely something that we try on. Yeah. Cool, yeah, we're all going to watch out and see what innovations come to us and maybe to our doorstep in the future. Uh, thank you so much for the insights on the Nespresso and, and, and your role there and, uh, you know, the, the trends that you're seeing. At the same time, uh, Davida, I also know you've been in the logistics industry for such a long time and maybe some of our listeners are wondering what is it that excites uh, you and, and me equally about logistics. Maybe if you don't mind, share a little bit. How did you end up in this industry and what is it that fascinates you? Yeah. Well, so how did I end up here? I would say uh, it's not probably because when I was a kid, I loved to be, you know, logistics specialist uh, or anything like that. It just happened really to be, I think, two main things. One is a family business. We also had them uh, as part of it. um, basically a huge warehouse that we're using for, for family business. So I, I ended up being over there and helping quite a few times. So I think that, that had a role eh, to, mm-hmm. to get me a little bit interested into that. Uh, secondly, I think, um, town where I'm coming from is, um, Genoa in north of Italy is, uh, is a town in, uh, on, um, on a harbor and, um, and then basically that's how I ended up doing my, uh, my major. Uh, so it was um, economy and uh, logistics uh, and transportation and shipping. So that's basically how I got started. Um, nothing really too exciting, nothing really I would say too conscious. Right? Uh, mm-hmm. But um, going, uh, going basically then after years, I think it's super exciting because uh, at the end of the day, uh, you, if you're a person that really are bored with routines, uh, logistics is, is not a routine. You always have something different, something that pops up last minute. You need to have a very, very good problem solving, uh, good analytical skills. Um, and then if you move even right now more to delivery services, which for me is an involvement of logistics, you don't only need to have those skills, um, but it becomes really more also of a marketing tool. So you need to understand what customers want. So there is a lot of understanding behavior of people, of customers, how can you use that? Uh, how can you make that uh, appealing for customers? How can you really sell it? So it, it, it transformed really more the, I think, um, 
you know, regional uh, logistics that we all know into something a little bit more fancy and a little bit more uh, marketing. Uh, typeish thing. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Uh, logistics can be a fantastic opportunity to build customer loyalty, excite them, get closer to your customer as well. For anyone listening that uh, would love to maybe also start a career at Nespresso, work in logistics, any uh, hints that you have, any things that for you are particularly important to be excited about a candidate maybe as well in logistics? Yeah, but I think first of all is, is the main thing is to understand that the logistics, the we are doing as uh, all companies and they do right now uh, direct uh, to consumer business model is a completely different beast than uh, you know the logistics that we all knew before it was basically just replenishing uh, uh, big supermarkets with huge pallets and you know just find efficiencies and, and nothing else uh, so there is much more that is changing from is a different type of logistics is a different uh, you know completely skill set that you need um, and you need to be obviously almost an entrepreneur uh, in, in finding new solutions and being able to try new things and uh, having really that um, you know attitude to yeah, not only try but be agile, be be also okay with failing. Um, so I think it's a lot of uh, different things what we expect today in people in logistics than what we had before in the previous business models. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, maybe uh, to to end of our podcast, uh, I think uh, what might not everyone know about you is that you're also a coach. And uh, I have to admit, I've been following uh, a little bit, uh, not just your post on LinkedIn, but also a post that you just recently made on the coaching blog about uh, time to set a meeting for yourself, uh, which could maybe be a, a great New Year's resolution for all of our listeners. Uh, do you want to share just a little bit? Um, about that idea and uh, maybe also how it helped you? Yeah, sure. First of all, on the coaching side, I think it's, it's, uh, it started as a passion um, and then which I took it um, uh, more also as a profession. So um, it's this second hat that I have besides the you know, global hat for last night for Nespresso. And um, I have to say, first of all, he helped a great deal in, in uh, not only in private life, but especially you were talking about business and uh, um, especially in all those that people call soft skills that are not really soft, but overall emotional intelligence. I, I think it helps a lot. It helps, uh, um, first of all, develop and coach people uh, in the team that you have. I think it's a tremendous asset that we need to have, especially with the, the different generations that we're working right now. We don't, you know, we have really some huge gaps between the people going from uh, 23, 25 and 52. So I think that's a, that's a very good skill set the coaching can, can help you to coach develop to listen to asking questions um, I think the, the other one that can help very much is being at ease a little bit with uh, failure with challenges how you cope with challenges how you cope with stress um, how you're able really to reframe things from uh, from what's happening and, and that, that's a little bit what, what um, the article was about uh, and is we very much go from meeting to meeting to meeting and we very rarely have the possibility to step back and to think a little bit, how are we growing as a professionals? What, what was one of the best achievements that we had? How can we capitalize on that? How can we grow our also self-confidence no, based on that? Um, what did we learn from some of the mistakes that we, we had? And I think, yeah, setting, and that's something in habit I picked, uh, setting, you know, uh, two, three hours on a Friday morning, uh, once a month, and just looking back 
what you have done, what you have done, and also what you want to do in, in the in the next uh, few months. It's um, it's a good way to pause a little bit, to reflect, to grow uh, as a professional, but also as a, as a human being. So that's uh, I think he helps a, he helps a great deal in uh, overall how you manage uh, how you manage business life. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Davide, thank you so much for all these insights, uh, not just on a professional level, but also a little bit on your personal career in the logistics industry. I think very exciting times ahead for all of us. Like you said, logistics is always changing and we are changing with that. And maybe, um, yeah, I want to end once more. Thank you um, for joining us today, for, for sharing your and the Nespresso story and also for the great idea uh, to our listeners. Take some time for yourself. Um, either to reflect or maybe also listen to our podcast, which will now happen on a weekly basis. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Rob. Bye. All right. That was the Logistics Try podcast episode with Davide Costella from Nespresso. I hope you enjoyed today's program. Please feel free to follow us or connect with us on LinkedIn. Links are in the show notes. Please remember to subscribe to the Logistics Try podcast so you don't miss any of the future episodes. I'm Boris Felgentreer. Until next time.